welcome to the Cinematologist podcast. We are now going to go straight into part two of Dario's interview with academic writer and composer Michel Chion. Stay tuned at the end for our overall thoughts on the interview. In the theorization of sound, there is always sort of a sense, I think, that it is seen as secondary to image. And your work is very much trying to bring a kind of equality to image and sound in understanding the cinematic uh, experience or, uh, you know, the cinematic cinematic artifact. Would you say that in talking about the acousmetra, so this is the disembodied voice, the voice that we don't see on screen, do you think that that kind of device is almost taken for granted? So you often hear criticisms of voiceover, for example, as being too simplistic a way of of explaining things. Or on the other hand, voices are just used in terms of synchronization, you know, just so that characters can tell you how they're feeling. Would it be your kind of contention or argument that the sophisticated use of acousmetra is a sign of a, you know, a filmmaker who understands the cinematographic reel, the way of being able to deploy cinema in in its true, truest or most effective form? Uh, It's a complicated question. (laughs) Because I need to think about precise films. For example, yesterday, Euh, avec euh, ma femme Anne-Marie, nous avons regardé le film de Woody Allen, Wonder Wheel. So, for instance, last night, with my wife Anne-Marie, we watched uh, Wonder Wheel by Woody Allen. Ce film emploie un procédé qui est devenu assez courant. This film uses a process that has become very common. Le narrateur est aussi un personnage de l'histoire. The narrator is also a character in the story. Il euh, regarde le spectateur et il parle tout en étant dans le cadre de l'action. He looks at the viewer and talks whilst being in um, the, the action frame. Et ensuite, il, euh, il reprend son travail de, de lifeguard, enfin, puisqu'il travaille sur une plage. And then he goes back to his role as a lifeguard. Donc, ce n'est pas un acousmètre et euh, c'est une nouvelle convention qui est d'ailleurs assez ancienne. So, it is not an acousmeter. It's a new convention which is actually dated. Mais autrefois, c'était très peu de films. But it used to be only a few films using this process. Et maintenant, c'est assez courant. And now it's very common. Alors, euh, je veux dire qu'il n'y a pas que l'acousmètre au cinéma pour la voix au cinéma there isn't just acousmeter at cinema for voice il y a aussi le, des choses importantes sur la voix dans les films there is also important things on voice in films même quand on voit le, le locuteur la personne qui parle even if you see the uh, the person who's talking c'est le rapport entre la L'aspect visuel et le son de la voix. It is the relationship between the visual aspect and the sound of the voice. Les, les rapports de proportion. Et ce rapport, euh, aujourd'hui, dans la vie quotidienne. Proportional aspect of relationships. And these relationships today in the daily life. Grâce au, 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 au smartphone, au, au mobile phone. And due to smartphones, mobile phones et renouveler beaucoup parce que euh, les gens entendent de plus en plus souvent des voix proches and renewing often because people hear more and more often close voices dans leur euh, dans leur, leur casque in, in the headphones with earphones et ils oublient que la voix est aussi un phénomène acoustique and they forget that the voice is also an acoustic phenomenon Par exemple, euh, quand je donnais des cours euh, à l'université Paris 3, uh, when I was teaching at university at uh, Paris 3, 
toujours euh, comme euh, contractuel. J'ai jamais eu de, 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 de poste. As a visiting lecturer, I didn't have a uh, contract. Je voyais des étudiants se mettre au fond de la salle. I would see some of the students sit at the back of the class. Et il y avait six rangées pas occupées euh, vides euh, devant moi. There would be six rows in front of me, empty. Six empty rows in front of me. It sounds familiar. It does. Yeah. <laughs> et, et moi, j'avais pas de micro, bien sûr. And I didn't have a mic, of course. Je leur disais, rapprochez-vous. I would say, come closer. Vous m'obligez à projeter la voix. You are forcing me to project my voice. Et c'est plus fatigant pour moi. Et secondairement pour vous. And it's more tiring for me. And also for you. Et tout ça, ce sont des choses dont le cinéma peut se servir. And these are things that cinema can use. Mais aussi qui expliquent historiquement la manière de parler dans les films d'autrefois. But that also explains the way of talking in, um, uh, in, in the past. Par exemple, les acteurs articulent et projettent plus la voix. So, for instance, uh, actors articulate and project their voices more. Au début des années 30, car les, les microphones, les mics sont un peu sourds. In the early 30s, because the mics were, uh, didn't um, pick up so well. Et les haut-parleurs n'ont pas la précision de ceux d'aujourd'hui. And the loudspeakers didn't have the precision of today's technology loud, and uh, loudspeakers. Tout ça fait partie de leur relation corps-voix. So all this is part of the relationship between body and voice. Alors actuellement, je m'intéresse beaucoup euh, à la question également des langues. Right now, I'm very interested around, uh, about questions around languages. Il y a de plus en plus de films où l'on entend plusieurs langages. There are more and more films where you hear different languages. Y compris euh, les sign language. Including sign language. Euh, C'est très, très, très fréquent aujourd'hui. It's very frequent today. Alors, euh, par exemple, euh, le film de, de Tarantino, que j'aime pas beaucoup d'ailleurs, par ailleurs, Inglourious Basterds. For instance, in the film by Tarantino, who I don't... Rate very much, by the way, um, Inglorious Bastards. Où, où il y a un nazi qui parle cinq langues. Where a Nazi speaks five languages. Et euh, des Français, des Anglais et des Américains qui parlent leur seule langue. And uh, Frenchmen, Americans and Brits who speak their, only their own languages. Alors... Le choix de Tarantino est que tout le monde est subtitled, tout, tout le monde est sous-titré. So Tarantino's choice is that everyone is subtitled. Mais du coup, le spectateur comprend tout comme s'il était un nazi. But then the viewer understands everything as though they were a Nazi. <laughs> enfin, le nazi euh, fantasmatique de Tarantino. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. The fantasmatic Nazi, Tarantino's fantasmatic Nazi. Who speaks five languages? Wow, that's fantastic. Donc, je trouve que le film n'est pas, ne va pas assez loin dans cette histoire. So I feel the film doesn't go doesn't go far enough in the story. Du point d'écoute du nazi. From the point, from the listening point of view of the Nazi. Parce que nous sommes dans la situation du nazi qui comprend cinq langues. Because we are in the situation of the Nazi who understands five languages. Ce nazi imaginaire, là, bien sûr. This imaginary Nazi, of course. Très bien joué par Christoph Waltz. Very well played by Christoph Waltz. Colonel SS Hans Landa, mademoiselle, à votre service. Les rumeurs qui circulent dans le village au sujet de votre famille sont tout à fait fondées. Monsieur Lapadite, vos filles sont toutes plus jolies les unes que les autres. Merci. Je vous en prie. Asseyez-vous. Suzanne, tu veux bien aller chercher du vin pour le colonel Ah, mais non. 
Merci beaucoup, monsieur, de la petite patte vin. Puisque nous sommes sur une exploitation laitière, je suppose sans risque de me tromper que vous avez du lait Oui. Alors, je préfère du lait. Très bien. Tu veux bien les fermer la fenêtre, s'il te plaît Mais le film serait courageux si le nazi racontait l'histoire. The film would be brave if the Nazi would tell the story. Nous devrions savoir que nous sommes à la place du nazi. We should know that we are in the Nazi's place. Pourquoi pas C'est un film. Why not It's a film. Mais son film euh, ne problématise pas suffisamment la question des langues. But this film, his film doesn't problematize uh, the question of languages. Alors, euh, c'est une question qui me paraît intéressante aujourd'hui, car euh, beaucoup de gens dans le monde... So it's a question that I find interesting today because many people in the world euh, ont fait au moins deux langues maternelles, euh, leur langue et un anglais globish. Have at least two mother tongues and their own languages and a um, global English. Un glo globish, on appelle globish. 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 Ah, je ne connaissais pas. Un, un sort d'anglais basique euh, parlé euh, dans une bonne partie du monde. A basic English that's spoken in many parts of the world. Et euh, donc, euh, c'est bien que les films euh, représentent cette réalité-là. It is good that films are representing this reality. Qui était déjà présente dans les films de guerre, les films de, de conquête, les films historiques. Which was already present in war films, in um, historical films. Et c'était aussi une question idéologique. And it was also an ideological question. Euh, C'était un choix idéologique de ne pas sous-titrer les, les, les Amérindiens. It was an ideological choice not to subtitle um, euh, Amérindiens. Comment Native, Native Americans. Thank Native you very much. Thank you. Donc c'est une histoire qui me passionne actuellement. So this is a story that fascinates me right now. Et donc j'ai écrit euh, des, des textes mais je n'ai pas d'éditeur pour le moment. <laughs> so I wrote text, but haven't got publishers at the moment. It's a fascinating subject, this, in terms of translation in so many different areas, because, for example, the, the question in certain countries, for example, in Italy and Spain, they don't use subtitles, they overdub with actors from their countries, which gives you a completely different impression of, <laughs> of the film. Right. And then also, I mean, I don't know if you have come across the phenomenon now where many younger people, I think, they watch films and television with the subtitles on, even though it's in English. Um, right. And then, you know, and interestingly, I don't know if you, you followed the uh, furore, the controversy with the film Tenet, you know, the Christopher Nolan film, with the criticism of the sound design that, that you couldn't hear the voices. Uh, yes. And, you know, he was responding saying this is deliberate this is on purpose and then when the film came out on on uh, you know on streaming with this you could watch with subtitles and understand what was what was actually going on whereas you couldn't in the in the film so it's such an interesting subject in terms of what the subtitles do to our or our all comprehension you know absolutely c'est très important ce que vous décrivez Absolutely, it's very important what you're describing. Par exemple, beaucoup de gens regardent des films dans des trains ou des avions. For instance, many people watch films in trains and planes. Donc, euh, le son euh, du film est plus ou moins couvert par le, le bruit de l'avion ou du train. So the film sound is pretty much covered by the sound of the train or the plane. Même si on a un casque spécial. Even if you have a special head, a pair of headphones. Donc souvent on utilise les sous-titres pour suivre le sens. So very often we use subtitles to follow the meaning. Donc euh, comme on sait, euh, le sous-titrage est aussi un sujet euh, historique euh, intéressant. As we know, subtitling is also an interesting historical subject. Parce que si on compare 
les sous-titres dans les films et les, les balloons dans les, comics, dans les bandes dessinées, dans les comics. If you compare subtitles in films and speech bubbles in uh, comic strips. Euh, dans les comic strips, on peut faire euh, un texte expressif. In comic strips, you can have an expressive text. Avec des lettres plus grosses, euh, si la voix est plus forte. With larger letters, if the voice is louder. Et, et des effets graphiques. Peu de réalisateurs se sont, sont servis. And graphic effects. A few directors have used this. J'ai été frappé, par exemple, par un réalisateur euh, qui est décédé il y a quelques années. I was struck by a director uh, that was actually, who actually passed a few years ago. Il s'est suicidé d'ailleurs, c'est Tony Scott. Dans certains de ses films d'action, uh, he died by suicide. Uh, Tony Scott who uh, died by suicide. In some of his action films, le sous-titrage est dans l'image même. The subtitling is in the image itself. Par exemple, dans un film qui s'appelle Man on Fire avec Denzel Washington. For example, in a film that's called Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. Une partie de l'action se déroule au Mexique. A part of the action happens in Mexico. Denzel Washington est un bodyguard essayant de protéger une petite fille. Denzel Washington is a bodyguard trying to protect a young girl. Malheureusement, il échoue. Elle est enlevée. Donc, euh, c'est une histoire de revenge, de vengeance. Unfortunately, he fails and she's kidnapped. So, it's a revenge story. Euh, c'est un film d'action euh, dont le thème est évidemment très populaire et, et un peu, voire un peu choquant. C'est un film brutal. So, it's an action film that has um, shocking and brutal themes. Mais... Il a eu des idées sur le sous-titrage de la partie qui est dite en mexicain. But he had some ideas around subtitlings that is uh, spoken in Mexican. Alors, je dis mexicain parce que, comme vous savez, le, les, dans les pays qui parlent espagnol, l'accent est différent. Il y a des, des traits particuliers, des dialectes. Voilà. I say Mexican because, as you know, uh, in Mexico, Spanish is spoken differently and with different dialects. Et euh, donc, il, parfois, les sous-titres dans, le, dans la, la version anglaise sont dans l'image comme si c'était un comic book. So sometimes the, the subtitling in the English version are in the image as though it was uh, comic books. Et ça le rend expressif. Il ne traduit pas seulement... Le sens des mots. And it makes it expressive. It doesn't translate just the meaning of the words. Mais une, une, une intention psychologique. But a psychological intention. Enfin, C'est un, un des nombreux exemples de ce qu'on peut faire. It's one of the many examples of what you can do with it. Et parfois, le cinéma populaire euh, invente des choses aussi. And sometimes... Mainstream cinema invents things as well. Puisque Tony Scott a fait sa carrière sur des films d'action euh, très rapides, euh, <laughs> avec des plans très très courts. Euh. Tony Scott did his career um, on um, uh, action films with very short uh, frames, very short sequences. Very short, <laughs> Et voilà, mais je, je sors du sujet. Mais je crois qu'aujourd'hui, l'accès au sous-titrage et au sens des mots par les yeux. But I think that today, um, the access to subtitling and the words through our eyes peut changer les rapports euh, avec ce que nous entendons. Et alors, c'est pour ça que je parle de audio logo visuel. Can change the relationship between what we hear and what we see, and I talk about audio logo visual. Puisque le logo, le langage, a deux façons de, de passer au cinéma, par les oreilles ou par les yeux. Logo, language, has two ways of coming through the cinema, through our ears and through our eyes. J'ai publié il y a sept ans un livre qui s'appelle en français L'écrit au cinéma, qui a été traduit euh, par Claudia Gorman sous le titre Words on Screen. I published seven years ago a book called L'écrit au cinéma. 
which was translated by Claudia Gorbman um, with the title What's on Screen. Pour le moment, le livre n'est pas un succès. At the moment, the book isn't a success. Ni en France, ni euh, en anglais. Nor in French, nor in English. Mais je pense que ça, ça touche à des choses importantes. But I think it touches on important matters. Notamment aujourd'hui. Uh, specifically today. You've written an awful lot about technology as well and the sort of development of Dolby and surround sound and, and the these transitions from different phases of, of cinema. And I've always had a thought about the paradox of the development of technologies of sound versus image, okay? So maybe you can comment on this. Um, so the development of sound technology has created more and more a audio spectator who experiences in a three-dimensional world, for want of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. But yet, if we look at the image, yes, we can discuss virtual reality or we can discuss 3, 3D, for example, but these technologies have never become fully incorporated into film culture. So the screen, in a traditional sense, remains 2D, flat. So film experience is a paradox, no? The sound is three-dimensional and the image is two-dimensional. I wonder if you had any thoughts on this. C'est une question intéressante parce que dans la réalité, quand je parle avec quelqu'un qui est présent dans cette pièce, dans ce living room... It's an interesting question because in reality... When I speak with someone who is present in this room, ou comme vous sur euh, vous deux sur euh, mon écran, dans les deux cas c'est tout c'est bidimensionnel. Uh, both of you on my screen. In both cases, it's two or bidimensional. Parce que si je ferme un œil, je suis censé perdre le sens du relief. Because if I close one eye. I'm meant to lose the sense of depth. 3D. Yeah, I'm losing the sense of 3D, of relief. Oui, c'est ça, le 3D. Mais en fait, ce qui crée le sentiment du 3D, but what creates the sense of 3D, c'est de se déplacer dans l'espace. It's to move in space. Mon père euh, avait perdu un œil euh, pendant son adolescence. My father had lost one eye in his teenage years. Je ne pouvais pas savoir quel œil c'était. I couldn't know which eye it was. Car c'était un nerf euh, optique qui avait été détruit. Because it was an optical nerve that was uh, destroyed. À la suite d'un accident. Following an accident. Mais ses yeux continuaient de bouger ensemble. But his eyes kept moving together. Et il ne portait pas de bandeau. And he wasn't wearing an eye patch. Comme dans l'île au trésor. Like in the treasure island. <laughs> Et il m'expliquait me, qu'il pouvait sentir le relief. He explained to me that he could understand, he could re, uh, feel uh, 3D. Seulement, s'il devait conduire une voiture, c'était plus compliqué. Only if he had to drive a car, that became more difficult. Mais dans bien des cas, la vision binoculaire But in many cases, the binocular sight ne, ne nous sert pas. isn't beneficial to us. We, we don't use it. Si je, je parle à une classe et si je suis à la même place, if I talk to a classroom and I'm in the same position, j'ai une image bidimensionnelle devant moi. I have a bidimensional image in front of me. Et donc, d'autre part, le regard humain est directionnel. So, in some ways, the human gaze, the human sight is... Directionnel. Is directional. Is one directional. Donc, on a fait des, des expositions, des films euh, circulaires. Voilà. À, dès les débuts du cinéma... There has been um, exhibitions of uh, circular films since the beginning of cinema. Mais 
ben, le spectateur euh, regarde, un peu comme avec les, les, les Samsung, ça, les, les Virtual Reality, euh, voilà. Mais, mais ça ne correspond pas à la vie courante. It doesn't relate to the daily life, to everyday life. Sauf quand nous nous déplaçons. Except when we are moving. Mais dans les films, la caméra se déplace à notre place. In films, the camera is moving for us. Latéralement et en profondeur. Laterally and with depth. Donc nous avons un sentiment de, de, de trois dimensions. So we have a sense of 3D. D'autre part, la question avec le cinéma populaire. Question around um, mainstream cinema. C'est qu'un film doit être compatible, c'est-à-dire pouvoir être apprécié dans des conditions très, très diverses, très, très extrêmes. The film needs to be compatible and needs to be, in other words, appreciated in varied, uh, in varied circumstances. Par exemple, je prends le film d'animation euh, Frozen. La première fois que je l'ai vu, c'est dans un avion. For instance, the animation Frozen. The first time I saw it was in a plane. Sur un tout petit écran. On a tiny screen. Et je n'aime pas écouter le son des films sur un casque. I don't like to listen to film sound on headphones. Donc, je l'ai regardé sans, sans aucun son et sans, sans connaître les dialogues. So I watched it without any sound and without knowing the dialogue. Et le film reste intéressant. And the film remained interesting. Ensuite, j'ai regardé une copie euh, en 2D sur un ordinateur. Then I watched a, version, a copy in 2D on a computer. Et avec le, le, en anglais sous-titré français. In English with uh, French subtitles. J'ai mieux compris l'histoire. I better understood the story. Mais je n'ai pas encore vu le film en, en 3D. But I still haven't seen the film in 3D. Mais je sais que le film a été étudié pour être intéressant même sur un écran, sur un petit écran, sur un, sur un pad, sur, une, sur un ordinateur, dans un train. But I know the film's been made to still be interesting on a very small screen, on an iPad, uh, on a computer, watching it on a train. Donc... Euh, cela, je crois qu'un film n'existe pas dans l'absolu. So Et que quand on a commencé à faire des films parlants, on a dû s'occuper de la question de la traduction. Et comme vous savez, aucune solution n'est parfaite dans l'espace et dans le temps. And as you know, no solution is perfect in space and time. Si vous étudiez un film euh, dans sa langue originale, if you study a film in its original version and original language, par exemple, vous êtes, euh, vous avez vécu en Grande-Bretagne, Great Britain, et vous voyez un film anglais de 1930. For example, you lived in Great Britain and you're watching uh, in a British film from 1930s. Peut-être vous trouvez étrange la manière de parler de certains acteurs. Maybe you find it strange the way some of the actors are talking. Mais ils ont une raison historique de parler ainsi. But they have a historical reason to talk as such. Pour, euh, pour des micros qui sont moins sensibles que les micros actuels. For microphones that are less sensitive than uh, uh, today's microphones. Et il y a des conventions qui ont changé depuis cette époque. There are conventions that have changed since then. Le sous-titrage n'est pas non plus une solution parfaite. Subtitling isn't a perfect solution. Car euh, on doit sélectionner une, une partie du texte. Because you have to select a part of the text. Parfois 70% du texte. Sometimes 70% of the text. Et puis on ne traduit pas les accents. And we don't translate accents. Etc. etc. Et donc ce, ce sont des, des questions empiriques et, et pratiques. There are empirical questions and practical questions. 
Et effectivement, euh, pour moi, ça fait partie de ce que je cherche à enseigner, c'est l'histoire. And this is part of what I'm looking to teach, is the, story, the history. Euh, parce que c'est comme aller dans un musée et regarder un tableau euh, ancien. It's like going to a museum and watching an old painting. Si on, a, si on connaît mieux l'histoire de la peinture, on voit que certaines choses ont un sens symbolique. If you know more the history of that painting, you understand that certain aspects have a symbolic uh, meaning. Euh, qui est lié à, à l'histoire de à l'histoire tout court, à l'histoire euh, euh, dans, dans tous les pays. Linked to the history, the history of each country. To me, there are, there are still really a lot of interesting films and filmmakers who I think are utilizing sound in really innovative ways, both in, in the mainstream and in art house context. So film like A Quiet Place, which is a fairly standard generic horror story, but very interesting use of sound. And then I went to see Dune the other day, which to me, the sound was the most interesting part of that. And then the, the films of, say, Selinsky Armour or Valeska Griesbach, they are very clever with their, their use of sound. So I wonder if there was any examples of, you know, contemporary filmmakers who you have really think are doing good work in terms of sound design and uh, sound with cinema. Ce sont des cas, à mon avis, très différents. They have very different cases, probably. Je suis français et je trouve le cinéma de Céline Sciamma très conventionnel. I am French and I find uh, Céline Sciamma's cinema quite conventional. Je ne sais pas pourquoi, mais je, je n'ai pas remarqué quelque chose. I don't know why, but uh, I, I haven't noticed anything specific. J'ai vu le film A Quiet Place. I've seen A Quiet Place. Là, le son et le la puissance du son et le sujet du film. There, the sound or the power of the sound and the subject of the of the film. Et donc, c'est un très bon, très bonne idée. It's a very good idea. Qui rend le public conscient du son. Which makes the public aware of sounds. Et euh, j'ai pas encore vu le film de Villeneuve, Dune, je l'ai pas encore vu. I've not seen uh, Dune just yet. Je sais pas, tout peut arriver euh, de n'importe quelle euh, direction. Uh, I'm not sure, anything can happen from whichever direction. Je ne cherche pas spécialement, comme spectateur, des, des idées révolutionnaires euh, euh, cinématographiques. I don't particularly look as a spectator uh, cinematographic revolutionary ideas in uh, cinema. Et je vais prendre l'exemple de David Lynch. I'm going to take the example of David Lynch. Puisque j'ai écrit un, un livre sur ses sur ses films. Because I wrote a book on his films. Et je connais mieux que d'autres cinéastes. And I know his work better than uh, other directors. Ce qui est important, c'est de dans lequel David Lynch, c'est qu'il a un monde, une atmosphère. What's important in the case of David Lynch is that he's got a world, an atmosphere. Et j'avais remarqué que dans, dans Dune, justement, la version qu'il a faite en 1984, parfois, les personnages parlaient comme si on chuchotait. There was uh, whispering. Sometimes the character uh, would uh, be whispering. Et cela crée une atmosphère particulière. And it creates a particular atmosphere. Where are my feelings? I feel for no one. The second moon.
Dans un autre film plus récent qui est Lost Highway, In a more recent film, Lost Highway, je montrais la séquence à des étudiants. I showed some students, uh, a sequence. Ils ressentaient l'atmosphère de la première scène du film avec le couple. They felt the atmosphere of the first scene of the film with the couple. Avec Bill Pullman et Patricia Arquette, ils sont mariés et femmes. With uh, Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette, husband and wife. Et l'atmosphère était ressentie, mais ils n'arrivaient pas à situer qu'est-ce qui crée l'atmosphère. The atmosphere was felt, but the students couldn't uh, under, couldn't pinpoint what was creating this atmosphere. Et je leur disais, remarquez quelque chose, sachez observer quelque chose. And I said to them, notice something, try, try to observe something. Le pace, le, le, le tempo du dialogue. The tempo of the dialogue. Et l'intervalle entre une phrase et la réponse, entre une line, l'autre line, l'intervalle temporel. And the time interval between one line And another one. Bill Pullman dit « What do you do tonight? » Bill Pullman says « What do you do tonight? » Three seconds. And uh, Patricia Kett. Read. Bill. Read. Read what? René. Exact. Cela donne au spectateur le temps d'entendre le silence. It gives the spectator time to hear silence. Juste parce qu'on a changé le, le rythme de jeu. Just because the game, the, le rythme du, le, le, the, the rhythm of the play changed. Et ce sont des choses euh, intangibles qui font l'atmosphère. And it is sometimes intangible things that make, give the atmosphere. Il faut... C'est comme un psychanalyste, n'importe quoi peut être signifiant au cinéma. A sometimes a psychanalyst um, can be significant in cinema. Le signifiant est partout au cinéma. The signifier is everywhere in cinema. Et euh, certains metteurs en scène créent un monde par euh, le fait de donner une force signifiante à quelque chose de banal. And some directors create a world by giving a, a signifying strength to something that is banal. Ils font jouer plus vite, moins vite. They ask to play the scene faster or slower. Et en regardant le, le dernier film de David Lynch, c'est-à-dire Twin Peaks, uh, the third, uh, the troisième série, And when you're watching um, the latest um, David Lynch, which is Twin Peaks, the third series, j'ai été frappé par la force qu'il donne à une à une figure euh, à une formule cinématographique très banale. And I was struck by the strength he gives to a, um, a cinematic device which is quite banal. Yeah, right. Euh, c'est ce qu'on appelle en français le chant contre chant. Shot reverse shot. Shot shot reverse shot. C'est ça Chez Lynch, il y a quelque chose dans le shot reverse shot. I talk about this in my Lynch in my book about Lynch which has, which has been translated. J'en parle dans mon livre sur Lynch qui a été traduit. Par exemple, dans le shot, quelqu'un dit quelque chose de terrible où quelque chose semble sortir de sa, de sa bouche qui est terrible. And in the shot, uh, you hear somebody says something terrible. Something comes out of their mouth that's terrible. Et en face, dans le reverse shot, la personne ne réagit pas. It's not reacting. C'est un peu comme, euh, vous savez, le, les réactions euh, dans Laurel et Hardy, Stan Laurel et Oliver Hardy. Le jeu d'action et de réaction entre les deux est très particulier. Second like Laurel and Hardy, the uh, reaction between the two is is very particular. The game of reaction is particular. L'un met un, un gâteau sur la tête de de l'autre. One throws a cake in the face of the other. Et l'autre met quelques secondes <laughs> réagir. 
and the other takes a few seconds to react. Et chez Lynch, il y a quelque chose de très mystérieux dans quelque chose de très banal, c'est-à-dire le chant contre chant. And there's something with Lynch that's very mysterious in the banal, and that is the shot against shot. Donc, je pense que le cinéma, son image, montage, reste toujours vivant et plein de possibilités. So I think that the cinema in sound and image and editing is still very much alive and with loads of possibility. Parfois d'une manière qui n'est pas évidente. Sometimes in a way that's not obvious. C'est-à-dire on n'est pas conscient que ça vient de ça. We're not aware that it comes from this place, from this. Mais si nous observons, nous, nous, nous pouvons localiser un signifiant. That if we are observing, we can locate, we can place a signifier. Par exemple, le void, le vide, chez Lynch. For instance, the void in Lynch's work. Qui est très important dans son monde. Which is very important in his world. N'est pas seulement dans des images d'écran noir. Isn't just in the images of uh, blackouts. Mais il peut être entre une phrase et une autre phrase. But it can be somewhere between a phrase and another phrase, a sentence, another sentence. Dans un, un temps euh, un peu long entre quelque chose et quelque chose d'autre. In time that's perhaps extended between something and something else. Et donc je pense que pour le remarquer, il faut dépasser l'opposition son image. So to notice this, you have to go beyond the sound image opposition. Puisque ils ont quelque chose en commun, c'est la durée et le rythme. Because they have something in common, and that's the length and the rhythm. C'est un exemple parmi d'autres. Just one example mm. amongst many others. Listen, Michel, thank you so much for all the time thank that you've you. taken. One, just one final, yes. one final question, just to, to round off, which is a sort of broad, broad question, maybe that. You know, we're talking here on the technology that we have, and this is a podcast, and I'm someone who came from being a, you know, a film scholar to podcasting. Mm -hmm. And in today's culture, it seems that sound has a newly renewed importance, you know, in terms of the things that technology are allowing. If you think of the interface between smart speakers and voice recognition You know, now, like, say, for example, in the in the university, students like to have the readings recorded, not not just to read, but to actually listen. So it seems that the, maybe there is a a new era of aural culture and an aural society. I, I just wondered if if that had occurred, you know, occurred to you. Have you thought anything about that? Uh, oui, mais je pense que vous avez raison. Mais je pense que cela concerne surtout le verbal, la sphère verbale. Yes, you're right, but I think it deals mainly with the verbal sphere, the verbal area. Par exemple, si l'on fait une, un podcast avec une musique concrète sans parole. For example, if we did a podcast with music concrète without any lyrics, any words. Eh bien, c'est pas facile aujourd'hui de se concentrer. Les gens ont du mal à se concentrer. It's not easy to concentrate. People find it difficult to focus. Donc, c'est formidable le podcast et tout ce qu'on peut faire aujourd'hui aussi avec les les trans, trans, traductions automatiques, avec les voix synthétiques. It's incredible what you can do with podcasts today. It's fantastic, especially with uh, automatic translation and um, synthetic voices, AI voices. D'ailleurs, dans une de mes musiques, j'ai utilisé les voix de, de Google Translate. In one of my compositions, I used actually voices from Google Translate. Pardon, je tapais un texte en français. I would type a text in French. Et je le faisais lire comme si c'était l'espagnol. And I would get it read back as though it was Spanish. Ça donnait un, un son intéressant. It gave an interesting sound. Et donc, une partie d'une de mes œuvres récentes est faite avec des voix de Google Translate. So, part of my most recent uh, works is made with Google Translate. Mais euh, <coughs> tout ce qui n'est pas verbal est également important, bien sûr. 
Everything that isn't verbal is also important, of course. Et là-dessus, euh, il faut aussi développer une culture de l'écoute et des conditions d'écoute. You have to develop a culture, a listening culture, and the different conditions of our listening environments. Et la première condition d'une bonne écoute, c'est le silence autour des sons. And the first condition of a good listening environment is the silence around sounds. Et c'est ce qui, comme vous savez, c'est difficile de l'avoir. Which is difficult, as you know, to get to. Normalement, dans chaque euh, école de musique, dans chaque université, euh, il devrait y avoir une pièce soundproof complet complètement, soundproof, soundproof. Normally, in every school of music, in every university for music, there should be a room that is completely soundproofed. Pour simplement écouter. To simply listen. Et avoir du plaisir à écouter. And gain pleasure from listening. Et donc, il y a encore beaucoup de choses à faire. Voilà. So there's still a lot to do there. Listen, Michel, thank you so much for all your time and uh, insight and, uh, you know, all of the history and theoretical and practical ideas and uh, examples that you've given us there. It's been a, an amazing uh, couple of hours. Thanks so much. Merci pour la traduction aussi. Merci beaucoup, Michel, et pour votre patience. Merci. Merci pour la vôtre et merci pour, uh, pour cet entretien. And thank you very much, Joanna, as well, for uh, taking Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Et bonne santé. Hein? Okay, so there we have it. Uh, what an interview. Um, I don't really know where to start or what to ask you, Neil, because obviously kind of summing that up is going to be quite tricky so i don't know maybe we could start rather than content how did it sound to you in terms of i mean i was interested about this you know the translation between french and english and the edit and did it flow because obviously to my editing ears is different to somebody who's just listening to it cold was it a, an easy listen i know the answers were long but did it did it work okay with the translation yeah i thought it worked really well i thought uh, joanna did a, a fantastic job um and he i thought he was a very generous uh, conversationalist, which is not always the case, I think, when, when things are being translated, that he's interested in, in what he's saying being communicated as accurately and as clearly as possible, yeah. you know, rather than just speaking and then letting it, you know, uh, and the fact that he speaks English as well helped that, you know, but he was there was a really lovely back and forth and contextualization and, you know, like just making sure words were specific when they needed to be, which I thought was, was really nice. I mean, I like listening to, I like listening to podcasts, which, which are kind of, you know, interviews with people who are not necessarily speaking in English, like filmmakers. I think it's a great way to access filmmakers, particularly from sort of post-film Q&As or festival panels and things like that. And it's another, it requires active listening, you know, in a way which I think is, is a really good thing, you know, and something that I think podcasting is can be really good at is actually saying actually come into this space and the listening is going to be the act of listening is going to be as much a part of it as what is said you know and that was really great and it takes a it takes a while it takes a few minutes you know to get into that space of the rhythm of the conversation but what comes out is a sort of a, a layer of complexity in terms of the thinking and the the communication which is really rewarding um and i loved it yeah and you know i was curious as well because we've not done that as an episode um we've kind of everyone we've spoke to has kind of got english as a first language um or as a really good second language yeah i just i just thought it was a fascinating a fascinating listen both in terms of the content but just the conversation and how that flowed i thought it was great yeah i really really loved it from that point of view yeah and as he was talking at various points thought of you in terms of your you know, your interest in film education, but also the kind of relationship between theory and practice. That was a, a big one, I thought, where, you know, he's experimenting making short films to try to kind of figure out whether what he's saying theoretically actually works, which is, you know, it's almost kind of like a scientific approach as much as you can get that in, in sort of film studies. But also the other thing I think that was sort of really fascinating for me was his, not overt criticism, but his, his sense that, people are talking about cinema without specific examples, without observational or ob observed manifestations underpinning the theoretical ideas that they have. 
you know, and I think it leads to that that question within film academia and maybe in film criticism, sort of on a broader sense. That how much is the are the films being watched in as complex and intent a way as they could be, which is quite an amazing opinion to have when you think of the ease of watching films now compared to back in the day in the in the 70s and 80s you know yeah and his description of how to actually watch stuff in back in the day was 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 a fascinating reminder of that and i think it you know listening to him talk was that kind of reminder of like what is what are we actually asking us of ourselves when we're when we're doing this work of criticism or teaching and a, and, and a reminder that so much of what passes for that, both in the classroom and on the quote unquote discourse is opinion. You know, it's like, it's watching for an opinion. It's kind of watching and thinking, what do I think about this as a thing rather than engaging with the text rather than engaging with the modes that it's working in, you know, and I, I know I fall into that in the classroom as well. You know, when there's, there's a good flow of something around screenwriting and then you mention a film and it becomes about what do you think of that film? And it's like, well, I like talking about that as much as anyone, but that is, that's irrelevant really. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the mode in which it's operating. And what I loved about it was, you know, when he was talking about technology, particularly and these kind of common ideas of, you know, you can use your phone to make a film, but does it make it cinema? You know, that, that's the question he's going in and saying, is this cinematic? And it doesn't mean a film can't be good or it can't, but is it cinema? You know, like that's the question that drives it. And he has spent, you know, a long time constantly asking that question of pretty much every film he's engaged with. And it's okay for the answer to be no or no as he understands it. And he's not, he wasn't necessarily disparaging of things that weren't his conception, but he's interested in trying to find a conception that makes sense and that he understands through practice as well as, as theory. And that feels increasingly rare that there's that level of thought that goes into analysis. You know, when you watch a film, what are you actually trying to do to, with it um, other than just have a take? You know, what's my take that I can deliver pithily on Twitter or I can deliver pith pithily in the classroom? Again, which kind of goes back to what I was saying at the start. The first of that's kind of made me want to read him more because I imagine that's what his work is, is that sustained analysis of a subjective understanding. And I, what I mean by that is, is, is he's trying to grapple with what he thinks it is and how he places it in the world without ever being kind of tied to that being the only way to consider this stuff as, as much as he's championing that way of doing it. Another sort of interesting thing that came out of it for me was sort of trying to place him and his work and the films and filmmakers he's interested in into this current debate about the canon. And, you know, because it's an easy, I think it's, a, you know, p potentially a criticism of him and the interview and the films and the filmmakers he's interested in that they are, you know, just reimposing this very male Western master cinema auteurist view of cinema. And I think that my answer to that would be, well, we should be, applying that kind of lens and that his method of of watching and criticizing as you've just outlined to a broader sense of cinema than perhaps has been done in the past and maybe that's um evidence of the cultural narrowness that film studies has had in the past and perhaps that's something we, you know i could have asked or gotten into a little bit but it seemed to me that there is a there isn't a, a exclusory approach to film within the methods that he's talking about there and i think that's yeah no i mean yeah i i, I agree 100 i think i don't think it would be fair to criticize it because he's in his 80s is <laughs> in his 80s you know he's been doing this for a long time but what i mean by that is when he talked about the access to the films you know and having to watch this stuff and spend time with this material he was doing it at a time where his understandings and tastes and criticism and all those skills were built with that, you know, there was a much narrower amount of work that was available to do that with. And it was mostly canonical white male work, you know. But also, even from hearing him sort of just talk about the basic ideas around, you know, embodiment and um, acousmetra and stuff like that, that's not gendered, <laughs> you know. And I think that there is really interesting work that could be done looking at work that sits outside that kind of canon and seeing how it engages with those ideas and how it's different and how it moves things around and that's our job that's our work as 
people who follow in the wake of anything. I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot of work about Greg Tate, who's one of my favorite writers who died just before Christmas. And it comes up again and again, like, don't try and do what, don't write like Greg Tate, you know, write in the spirit of Greg Tate. And I think that that's what we should be doing with people like Shion is saying, okay, there's a body of work here that we can grapple with. And okay, he's talked about these filmmakers because those were the filmmakers of the time that he was doing that work. And I thought it was interesting, you know, when you raised Shyama and you raised Griesbach and stuff like that, like, he's probably not engaging with that stuff, but but why should he? Like, what, you know, like, we can do that. We can take those tools. We can put it in a new context. You know, we can move that work forward. And that's, we've got the opportunity to do that in a way that, that he wouldn't have had um, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, okay, maybe he could have done more, but like, I just find that such a, such a narrowing. Again, it narrows the conversation down to like, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and like this ideology of what, what people should have done 50 years ago. It's like, but the work is, is not narrow. The work is pliable and malleable in a really interesting way. So let's use that and let's explore these filmmakers from that context. And I think those two examples that you gave were really good examples, you know. And it was nice, actually, because I think his examples were really detailed and really specific. But you brought in those ones, which kind of, it did start to open that door of like, oh, okay, take these ideas and apply them in this context. And that's really interesting. Um, and again, just speaks of the the, the possibilities of his theory and his work uh, in a much broader sense. Yeah, and I think, you know, that the, the idea, I mean, you said it there that, you know, his neologisms, which are, you know, very useful, I think, as a toolbox for bringing sound and image together, which is one of the big failings you could say over the history of film criticism and film scholarship is that it's just all about the image and the sound is always secondary. And that's the thing I think that he brings to the to to the table in terms of well, hang on a minute, you can't understand meaning with of cinema without sound and image together. But the idea of acousmetry is a fan, is a fantastic tool to actually look at the gendered gendered voices. So maybe he has he, he hasn't done it specifically, but it's a bo- it's a tool in the box now, like you say, where others can can use that, which is fascinating. And sorry, yeah, I just think, and you know, like I, I would hope that because he's an old white man, that that tool is not ignored, you know. And I think that that's in danger, which is a shame because, like you said, I think it is a very useful tool. Also, just on the other thing as well, I think what was really interesting was he really considers sound in the experience of how a film is watched. And I think that that point there about often we don't consider the sound in criticism or scholarship is valid but it's also kind of telling in terms of like how these films are experienced and watched by both the majority of audiences but increasingly the majority of critics like i hear all the time on podcasts like or people you know on their you know i had to watch this film on a laptop in my bedroom because they're in a shared house and they've got a streamer which is only available for like two hours and stuff and they can't get access to the the communal television to even put in a hdmi or whatever so that is going to impact your viewing of the film. It's going to impact your hearing of the film. So you're not necessarily going to focus on those things. And I think that's been historically the case, you know, in terms of this idea is that all of these films are all experienced in a pristine space that, you know, that, that, that exhibits the, the image and the sound. at the. And that's just historically never been the case. And I think sound has definitely suffered from a lack of kind of technical exhibition focus in terms of like the care up until probably like the 90s and the and digital sound and, and sort of, you know, 5.1 and Dolby, you know, Dolby Atmos and all that kind of stuff, which has, has kind of has set in a lot of ways of thinking that really need to be undone, but are going to be hard because the majority of people writing about film, particularly in the last few years, are not, not watching films in the right space for that to be apparent. And we'll talk about Memoria on the, on the bonus, which has been released absolutely almost kind of elitist in a very, but, but because it's, it's designed for a space which is absolutely essential if that that potential is going to be reached i think and that's really interesting yeah and and the difference between having the sound in your headphones i mean he said you know he doesn't like listening to the sound in the headphones because it's i'm assuming again maybe i followed up on this but it's the interiority of of it whereas the sound has to travel that distance in space which give you know gives it an air of a relationship to what's being seen on screen in a, in a completely different way but also i think what's interesting and you know we talked a little bit about this in terms of language and now we the idea of using subtitles you know we we we, we think about that in terms of watching foreign language movies but 
as I said, sort of more and more people have to have the text when they're watching on their laptop or, or on their TV have a text underneath. And it, it's an interesting question whether A, audiences are listening differently or B, sound design is not promoting or layering the voice in a way that is easy to understand in the sound design. You know, there's filmmakers that we've talked about <laughs> that obviously don't do that in the way that maybe was done kind of in a classical Hollywood period or, or even right through, you know, the mid-20th mid century where that sense of hearing the dialogue. And even that, that leads into how do actors act? You know, we did the episode on The Voice. We're talking about mumbling and, and Joaquin Phoenix. And there's there's a really interesting questions around, around that that idea of what, what you can hear and how we listen that that are coming to the fore again because of digital technologies. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought that whole aspect was 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 really fascinating, uh, and I've noticed it, you know, in terms of just the general sort of sound mixing of stuff that's on TV shows. My wife and I watch a lot of TV, um, and we've got a six-month-old now, you know, our second child, and a lot of that watching in the early months and like right now is is watched with subtitles because the the dialogue can't cut through the baby crying, but also it's in, in the mix. It's just it's yeah. just it's it's just it's just mixed in, you know. It's this blanket, almost quote unquote realist. Everything's just it's just all in the same register. That it's really hard to make out a lot of stuff. So if, if we're going to follow along, we're going to need the subtitles, you know. Um, there's also an interesting aspect to this, which is that when Tessa watches um, Pad, you know, and she watches TV shows, we have the subtitles on for her because there is a an increasingly proven link between literacy and children reading subtitles on screen particularly in an era with of phonics in terms of how they can spell and how they understand what the word actually is and they get the it's you know there are different spellings of different words in a way they wouldn't pick up with just the you know like it really it can enhance and she's already very very astute at asking questions about it is it is it for as in for is it for as in for you know and she's seen that word and she knows it's different in different contexts and so i don't think at that age she's particularly interested in the sound design but there's certainly increasingly the ways we read uh, and how we, the ways that we read engage you know sort of interacts with the ways that we're hearing is really fascinating and that idea of the 70 percent of language coming across i think is is fascinating even in even when you're watching something english language with english subtitles you're there is a dissonance between well like, that's not what they're saying or that's not how they're saying it or you could take that far you know you you really start to understand the complexities of sound and the voice as an instrument from reading and hearing even the same words or the same selection of words being spoken and again it's just another reminder of like there's so much work to be done and thought to be thought weird phrase around the ideas of sound and what it is that just hasn't even scratched the surface and i loved his optimism of that you know like this is not there's so much, there's so much work to be done in terms of sound and vision um, th- th- and what that could be cinematically, um, which is exciting. You know, it's like, yeah, we're, there is, for those who are interested and in, in, this, in this area, there's so much to do that could be a new kind of cinema or new ways of thinking about cinema just through sound, just through putting the sound much more prevalent in your thinking as a creator. And the Walter Murch story was brilliant as well. Yes, yes. Like <laughs> yeah, that was great. Fantastic. Well, yeah, I think that's a great um, way to end. You just kind of summed it up well. And I think actually our bonus conversation will probably lean into those ideas and the idea of sound as the as an object, because if ever there was a film that probably takes its cue from sound in terms of meaning, but also in terms of feeling, it's, it's Memoria, which is what we're going to talk about on the... Uh, 9am cocktail party uh, bonus episode which is to come so please come across and and listen to listen to us talk about uh memoria neil thanks very much for listening to all of that and giving your comments as usual an absolute pleasure great great work yeah i think it's a it's a brilliant conversation and uh, yeah it's an honor to to put it out on the pod yeah, and obviously, thank you very much to Joanna Bramley for taking so much time to do the translation and, you know, just being brilliant at it, really. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it, it, we had a couple of conversations about how to do it, and it's a difficult thing to do. You know, Christ, I don't, I, I don't speak a second language. You know, it's one of the regrets of my life, I have to say. Um, so, so thank you very much f- to to Joanna for that, and of course, thanks very much to Michelle Shion for for giving up a good 
you know, two and a half hours of his time and, you know, just being so thoughtful and so generous, as you say, with, with his answers. So we hope you enjoyed the, the episode. Yeah, and that's it. This has been the first episode of season 15 of the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.